This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. through the book of Colossians as a church and um, so we're in chapter three now and we're into a a section of the scripture that has to do with family relationships and uh, so today I'm going to be talking on the rather curious subject of the glory of submission so I'm going to read this section uh, verses 18 through 21 of Colossians and then we'll jump into it. If you don't have a Bible there should be one under the seat in front of you and you can turn to page 573 and you'll be able to track with us there what we uh, what we have going what we're teaching um, about. You'll be able to follow along because I'm going to jump around. I'm not just going to look at one verse. I'm going to look at a few other verses so hopefully that will help you. So let's read verses 18 through 21. And then we will uh, walk through it. This is God's word. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray today that you would just speak to it, speak to us from it. I pray that you would strengthen me and enable me to teach accurately and truthfully your word. I just confess my own need for you today, and and I pray that you would help us all to receive your word, Lord. Uh, Many of us are confused by a passage like this. Some of us don't like this passage and passages like it, Lord. So we just confess that there's some some of us in the room in the church that uh, just bristle when we even read verses like this. And so we pray that you would just give us a clarity today about your word and that you would give us a confidence in your word and that you would let us see the beauty of your word. Most of all, show us Jesus Christ risen and glorious today. May we see Christ in all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just to be clear, I read all of those. We talked about children and parents last week. I'm going to go back to read verse 18 again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, you may be thinking, what is glorious about that verse? Is there anything glorious about that verse? In, in Western society, uh, a verse like that, a statement like that, wives, submit to your husbands, a statement like that seems at best outdated, uh, and at worst, uh, misogynistic in nature. In our cultural moment today, uh, you know, we often flinch, even as Christians, even who have a high view of Scripture, many flinch at this kind of language. Uh, We're living in a cultural moment uh, where uh, things like this were very, very sensitive to, especially when there are grievous stories like one recently that uh, emerged in our culture where a Christian leader had uh, actually counseled someone, uh, a woman, 
to, to fulfill, to obey this scripture, to submit to her husband, um, even when her husband was physically abusive to her. So there's understandable concerns. That's wrong. There's understandable concerns about that kind of use of the scripture. The Me Too movement in our country has served to helpfully shine a spotlight on the darkness of abusive men. And it's also empowered women who have been abused to speak up about their suffering. So in that world that we live in right now, is there any place for a verse like, wives, submit to your husbands? Does it have relevance for today? Or is it just something Paul was teaching into a culture that already believed that? And so he's just addressing something that they hold as a cultural value. So it's sort of like slavery, maybe, something that is in the past that we are ashamed of um, and thankfully free from. Is it like that? Why is it even in here? I mean, that's another question. Why, out of the blue, Paul's talking about Jesus. He's talking about, hey, if you want to grow in the Lord, don't be legalistic. If you want to grow in the Lord, it's not visions that make you grow in the Lord and it's mystical experience. If you want to grow in the Lord, it's not asceticism, being harsh, harshly treating your body and denying yourself in, like, physical ways. It's not that that makes you grow in the Lord. It's that you've died and risen with Christ. That's what makes you grow in the Lord. It's living out who you already are. It is living in the righteousness that Christ has given you. It's, it's that. That's what the book has been about. And now he's getting to the place to show how that works itself out in family life. Our new life in Christ in the first place should be expressed by those with whom we share most of our lives, our family. Look at uh, verse 12. The context of this is really related to everybody. So by the way, I know most of us aren't, are not mo yeah, probably the majority are not wives in the room. More than 50% are non-wives. I'm, I'm, I'm not, obviously. Um, so this has relevance, this passage, for those who aren't wives as well. When we consider the context and what it's saying to us, I think you'll see that this has relevance for everybody today. But look at verse 12. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So he's showing how we're to live out our Christian faith. And he says, you got to know what your identity is. And he says, your identity is in verse 12, you're chosen. We talked about that two weeks ago, that God has chosen you, and so you didn't contribute anything to your salvation. You didn't save yourself. He so saved you. And so what should that produce? Given that identity, I'm chosen, what should it produce? It should produce humility, meekness, patience, not just for wives, for every Christian is what he says in verse 13. He says, you're holy. Well, how are we holy? Because Jesus died to forgive our sins and then declares us holy. And so when he says bearing with one another, verse 13, forgiving one another, that's because Christ has done that for you. Christ bore with you. Christ bore with me. He bore our sins. And now he forgives us. So everyone is to live towards one another in that way. And then he says, you are beloved. 
You are loved by God. That's your identity to live foundationally. What is most true about you as a Christian is that you are loved by God. I don't care what your circumstances are or what's going on. God loves you. And it's from that sense of embracing his love that we are then to love other people. Now, with all that in mind, because of our identity, this is how we live towards others. Now Paul's going to say, here's how that works itself out on the street level in your family. Let me give you some examples of how you live that out as a disciple of Jesus at home. That's what's going on here. So this is very clearly tied to what he's been talking about because it's just here's who you are based on your union with Christ. Here's how Christ lives through you. You've died and risen with him. Here's how he lives through you. And now let's start and say, what does that look like in your family? Given the misunderstandings of the text, wives submit to your husband, given the misapplications of the text, I'm going to spend some time today, uh, I'm going to have to spend more time maybe than you would want or I would want saying what this doesn't mean. I think it's really important that I say what it doesn't mean so that then we can see what it does mean and we can see the glory of the idea, the glory of the truth. It's kind of like if you've ever had a really dirty window and sought to, to look out the window, you can't really see and so maybe you have to spray some some Windex, some kind of window cleaner, and wipe it. And after you clean the window, then you can see clearly. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to clean the window of misinterpretations, misapplications, uh, and hesitancy about this verse so that hopefully we can see clearly the beauty of what is behind it for followers of Christ and wives in particular. So I'm going to walk through each word of the verse, and I'm going to say what it doesn't mean, and what it means. So let's start with verse 18, the first word, wives. It says wives, not women. Wives, not women. The verse does not prescribe how women in general relate to men in general. The verse prescribes how one particular woman relates to one particular man, how one wife relates to her own husband. This verse says nothing about her being, uh, about women being inferior to men, to be sure. This verse says nothing about wives being inferior to their husbands. And to demonstrate that that's not what the the Bible teaches in equality of men and women, I want to read to you two verses, one from creation and one from redemption, that I think are super important uh, as foundations for this passage, because we interpret and apply scripture in light of scripture. So at creation, in Genesis 1.27, this is what it says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. So at creation, it says that God created males in his image. God created females in his image, both equal image bearers of God, one not superior to the other in nature, in character, in value, in worth, in dignity, but equal in dignity, worth, character, and value. Then he says they are called to be co-regents. Regent means to rule, so theologians call this the co-regency of Adam and Eve, or male and female, that they were called together to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. They're, they're called to have dominion over the earth. It's a, it's a calling in life that for the married couple, they are to do together. 
And so they have equal callings. But equal in dignity and value and equal in calling doesn't require equal in role, that there can be no distinction in one's roles in marriage. That's important. But clearly they're equal. Secondly, um, I want to read to you from Galatians, because in Galatians 3, there's a verse about redemption, which says the same thing. So that's how everybody was created. Then there was the fall, and then Christ redeemed us, Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither, I'm sorry, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. So here Paul is saying that in Christ and redemption, we are all in Christ. If you're a man who believes, you're in Christ. You're a woman who believes, you're in Christ. And one is not superior to the other. Both are equal on the grounds and the footing of redemption because of the death and resurrection of Christ. So by creation and by redemption, men and women are equal in dignity, value, and worth. Equal image bearers, equally redeemed. So whatever verse 18 means, wives submit to your husbands, and we'll see. Uh, Whatever it means, it must mean something in light of the fact that men and women are equal in their value and in their worth. They're equally created and equally redeemed as one in Christ. Whatever it means, it has to hold that. If there's a tension here at all, we'll let there be a tension, but the two have to stand together because they're both true. So it's not a statement about all women. It's not even a statement about the value of wives with regard to their husbands. It's, 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 uh, it's wives, not women being addressed here. Number two, submit. Wives, submit. The text says submit not obey. The reason I say that is because in the other people addressed in this passage, it does say obey. Look at verse 20. Children, obey your parents. Verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who who are your earthly masters. So there's three parallel pairs of people that Paul addresses and says, this is how you walk out discipleship in Christ together. Two of them, he says, obey. Two wives, he says, submit. Obedience is something that is commanded, that is required, that is from without. Submission is something that originates from within. Submission is a willing, a voluntary act. It is something, interestingly, that all believers are called to. It's something that all believers are called to. In the parallel passage in Ephesians 5, so Ephesians 5 is very similar to this. It's longer, but it's very similar. But in that passage, Paul also writes that wives are submit to their husbands. But the verse before the call to submit says this. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. So before telling wives to submit to their husbands, which he does in Ephesians 5, but before doing that, he makes this statement that, you know what, everybody is called to a voluntary, willingly submission, a a willingness of the heart, a position of the heart to defer to others, and particularly to defer to others who have a role, um, a God-given role, in some kind of leadership. There is a deference that we are all supposed to hold. Um, Jesus submitted himself. Uh, And so we are to be people who are looking to put, what does he say in Philippians 2? We're to count others more important than ourselves. We're to put the interest of others above ourselves. This is fundamental Christianity 101. Being a follower of Christ means Christ lives in me. 
I'm in him. We're in union together. His Holy Spirit lives in me. And now Christ living through me is going to demonstrate the character of God by living a life that willingly defers, willingly, uh, willingly um, uh, embraces the leadership of others. Or even if they're not a leader, willingly prefers, defers, willingly serves other people. That's who we're, what we're called to do. So what he's saying is, in the marriage relationship, so we're all called to that, okay? We're all called to live, what did he say back in 13? We're all called to be compassionate, all called to be humble, all called to be meek, all called to be patient, all called to be bearing with one another. So in the marriage, here's what he says to wives. A way that you, the, the posture that you live that kind of life out with is by an embracing of your husband and his call to lead. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on uh, Galatians, wrote this. He says, of the word submission, it suggests a voluntary willingness to recognize and put oneself under the leadership of another. I think that's good, and I think that's what's actually being said here. It is voluntary. That's important. It's a recognition. It's not forced upon someone, but it's recognized. Hey, I'm choosing to recognize your role in the Lord. I'm choosing to recognize that. And I'm choosing to willingly affirm that and embrace your role um, in leading. So married ladies, you are called to, a, to voluntary rec- voluntarily recognize and affirm your husband's God-given role in your marriage. Equality in hu- equality doesn't mean that we share exactly the same roles to function, but we function in different roles at times. I think a helpful metaphor, and every metaphor breaks down at some point, but I think a helpful metaphor to maybe get our, eyes, our, our, our minds around this a little bit is the metaphor of dancing. I can't dance. I'm not a dancer. I might as well be giving an astrophysics illustration here, uh, but... Uh, is dancing. So, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, I'm talking about couples dancing. You know, when, two, when a couple dances together, um, you both dance together, but typically the husband sort of leads out and then the, or, or the, the man, and then the woman typically glides along and they dance together. They both have equally valuable contributions to make. If she just stands there like that, it's not a very lovely dance. Uh, and if he is dominating and uh, it's not a very lovely dance, it's when they're in union together and one partner takes the initiative and leads the dance. They're equal value but differing roles. And when that happens, it's absolutely beautiful. What's not beautiful is when both are struggling and wrestling for who's going to take initiative and take the first step and lead. That's chaos, uh, that, that, that is chaos. And so it's, it's beautiful when there is an agreed upon, affirmed uh, sort of dance together that happens. Both are equal. Th- this is a picture we see in 1 Corinthians 11, by the way, where it says the husband is the head of the wife as God is the head of Jesus. So the father and the son are equal in value, but they do function with different roles. The father sends the son. To rescue us. The son 
goes, the Son is sent. The Gospel of John, Jesus is described as sent almost more than any other term. He's, he's sent by the Father. So they have differing roles. But no one would say Jesus is not as valuable or as lovely or as glorious as the Father. Of course, they are one in that way. So there's an example. Submission is a heart disposition of affirming your husband's role as leader again. Now, this doesn't mean that the wife is silent. Doesn't mean that she has no opinion. Doesn't mean that she doesn't bring correction to her husband or teaching to her husband. It doesn't mean that. Uh, th- think about the dancing metaphor again. If she, it would be like the silent thing is she's just not participating. She's just standing there. You know, that is not a lovely, beautiful dance. It's not that she has no opinion. She has ideas. She has contributions. She may be a better dancer, probably is a better dancer than he. And so uh, it's, it's rare that I've met the couple where the guy's the better dancer. So it's typically she's the better dancer, so she, she, her, she can leverage her input, her counsel, her thoughts, her creativity to make the dance more beautiful. And that's, that's how it works sometimes. Sometimes um, she needs to bring correction to the dancer. Stop stepping on my foot, please. Uh, and sometimes there needs to be a, a, a stop the dance and let's talk about this. Okay, let's talk about, okay, what... Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Oh, now we have an argument. Okay, now we can't solve it. I'm, 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 I, I, I. Okay, now we go get some help. So we talk to, we join reengage to get some help in the reengage ministry, or we go talk to a trusted friend. We bring it up at community group. We see a counselor. We work it out. Then we come back to the dance floor. Actually, you're dancing the whole time, but you get the point. We come back to the dance floor, and now, okay, now we have a better understanding of the other, and we're dancing in, in a beautiful way. It doesn't mean that she loses her individuality. I love this statement from David Garland. He says, submission is not submersion, losing your personality in another's. I trust no husband wants that wife, or, you know, wants his wife to be like that, has no personality. Have you ever had like a little kid, and uh, this happened to my kids when they're little, now I have grandkids that want to dance, and so uh, they stand on your feet. Have you ever done that? And so then you kind of hold them and you try to dance. The music comes on and it's usually just kind of doing this. And, you know, you kind of, yeah, here we go. And you're just kind of going along with them. They're not dancing. They are absorbed into you. You own all the movement. This is clunky. It is ugly. It is not beautiful. And that's the way a marriage is where the wife loses her own personality and is submerged in just sort of propping up her husband without any sense of individuality. It's she standing on the feet and not really participating. It's all him. It's all about him. That's not beautiful. That's not beautiful. That's not what is in mind. After the first service, Caleb made a point to me. He said, you know, there's one thing about the dancing uh, analogy. When you think about, like, for instance, in particular, something like ice dancing or something like that, it's, it's, it's always the woman that is being uplifted and honored and is the, the beautiful part of the, the dance. You don't ever see in the ice dance the lady skating along, like, holding up the man. You know, it's kind of like, oh, it's like doing that to you. The beauty of the roles, and I'm going to talk about his role in a minute, but the beauty of the roles is that there is a beautiful display that happens uh, through that. It doesn't, it, in other words, it doesn't smother her. He doesn't come out and do the ice dance and say, you stay in the dressing room. This is about me. It doesn't do that. Good husband honors his wife, uplifts his wife, frees her in her gifts and calling. He doesn't say, stay back in the dressing room. i got to go out and do my skate thing. Not at all. doesn't mean that she's less intelligent. 
Submitting doesn't mean that she's less intelligent. It means she's less gifted. Listen, it doesn't mean that she has less leadership ability than he does. I know marriages where the lady has a leadership gift that's probably stronger than the man's in some way. It doesn't mean that she has less vision. It doesn't mean that she's less competent. She may be the better dancer, as I said. These honestly have nothing to do with submitting. Submitting is a, a desire of the heart to embrace and welcome the initiative, the leadership, the care of your husband. So empowered by Christ, the wife is to humble herself and joyfully. That's what we read in verse 12. Humility, joyfully embraces care, his leadership, his authority, his direction. She's not a doormat to be walked on. She is rather yielding voluntarily for the glory of God, the beauty of their relationship and marriage, their testimony to serve and bless her husband as he is to serve and bless her. She yields from a place of strength to help him. You know, Adam, Eve is created, uh, Genesis says, is a helper for Adam. Why? Because he needed help. She comes with strengths that make up for his weaknesses. That's powerful, man. She comes with the strength to help him. He needed help. She wasn't created for him to walk all over and take advantage of. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to provide someone for you to belittle. God says, you need help, pal. So I'm bringing someone to strengthen you. That's how this works. She, she is a place at a place of strength. Proverbs 31 is a woman of strength. But she uses that strength for good in the marriage by joyfully deferring and embracing her husband's leadership. So let me ask you this, wives. How can you set your husband up to be very fruitful as a leader in your marriage, to flourish your marriage? What could you do that would set your husband up to fulfill his role in a God-honoring way? How could you, to use a golf analogy, how could you tee him up for success? How could you tee him up for success? No one can help him like you can in his role. Now, he may need some help. He may need some training. He may need some correction. Uh, and, uh, and, and other guys can come alongside him and help him with that, adjust him, help him see how do you love your wife as Christ loved the church. But no one can, can help him to walk out his God-given call to lead like you when you are leaning in and embracing his role as you embrace your own. So it's wives, not women. It's submit, not obey. And it's, the next phrase is, wives submit to your husbands. It is, there are demands on the husband, not just the wives. Ephesians 5, is what I referred to earlier, says that not only, well, this passage says, husbands love your wives. Ephesians 5 says they're to love their wives as Christ loves the church. That's sacrifice. He, he gave himself up for her, it says. So that's death on a cross. So the husband is called to love like Christ by laying his life down and sacrificing for his wife. Her submission is not a one-way street. So the picture is not like, ladies, you act like Jesus, and he can do whatever the heck he wants. That is not the picture here at all. Both are called to act like Jesus. Both Jesus, we're in union with Christ, he lives in us. We're both to have Christ live through us. The hallmark characteristic of the wife's role is that she loves like Jesus by embracing his leadership, by deferring to her husband. Jesus submitted himself 
willingly. So she lives like Jesus. That's a hallmark of her. The hallmark of loving like Jesus for the husband is he sacrifices himself for his wife. It means he prefers her desires, he prefers her, her wishes, he, he, he acts in a way that honors and prefers her. And, and now these aren't, these aren't unique. It doesn't mean like she's never to sacrifice for him. And it doesn't mean that he never submits to her gifts or desires, because he should, and she should sacrifice. It just means we're all to live like Jesus. But in the roles, the way the dance works is characteristically he is to take initiative by dying to himself and loving his wife and caring for her and taking the initiative in that. She is to respond to his initiative and willingly submit herself so that the two partners are gracefully moving together in unity. He doesn't have an easier call. Arguably, we'll see next week at Husbands. He, I don't know that we need to weigh who's got a harder call, but let's just say he's not getting a pass by being called to be nailed to a cross and give his life for another person, metaphorically, you know, figuratively speaking. Together they move, each in their different roles. And when each uses their role rather than challenges for the other's role, envies the other's role, then it's beautiful and not chaos. Last thing it says here, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So in the Lord, not in the culture. Paul wrote into the Greco, wrote into the culture of the Greco-Roman world, uh, and he's not saying wives should submit because that's fitting in Greco-Roman culture. It, it would have been, by the way. Uh, they would have had a culture where, as I said last week, a father owned his children, uh, and he nearly owned his wife. Uh, that wives did not have legal rights and protections, unfortunately, uh, like we provide today. But he's not saying, hey, this is just the way the culture works, so wives do this. He's also not saying, hey, it's fitting because that's what in conservative Christian, especially fundamentalist churches, that's the way they do it. So that's what you should do. Not saying that. He's not saying, he's also not saying it's unfitting because it's out of sync with modern progressive Western culture. He doesn't say that to us today. He says it's fitting in the Lord. Why is wives submit to your husbands? Why is that appropriate? Why is that? Why should you do that? Because that is fitting in the Lord. What he's saying is you are in Christ, as is the husband, but you are in Christ. Christ is in you, and this is how he is expressing his risen life through you to your husband. New life in Christ is radically different than the values of the culture. The values of the culture are always uh, geared towards what's best for me. And even philanthropic giving or even acts of service are often done, when you hear and you ask someone, why do you do that? It's not a Christian. Well, I feel better when I do that. They're often done with a, with a ben- personal benefit attached to it. But the Christian life is all about giving our life away to the Lord and to others. That's what we are all called to do as Christians. So when you think about the whole scope of the New Testament and what Jesus says, wives submit to your husband, it stands out to us like, whoa, that's, that's really radical. Can I just say, that's what everybody signed up for when you said, I'm following Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus means that we prefer other people above ourselves, men, women, young, old, uh, husbands, wives, I don't care. The life of the Christian is following Jesus. It is saying, how can I orient myself for the glory of God to prefer others above myself? That is radical 
The Christian life, Jesus says, you want to find your life, you lose it. You lose it. We say, boy, that is, wives submit to your husbands. I don't know about that. Jesus says, you want to find your life, you give it away. You lose your life is what he says. He says you gain by giving. He says you live by dying to yourself. The call to submit, the call of wives to submit. So we can look at that and go, wow, that is so, that just sounds nuts. That is not as radical as the call. It's not any more radical. It's not any more radical than the call that Jesus gives to everybody who follows him. That says, take up your cross and die to yourself daily. That is radical. I think one of the reasons that we're so shocked by this language, I think the reason we're so shocked by it is because we're not thinking in the category of being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to follow him? Willing submission is fitting in the Lord, he says. Why is it fitting in the Lord? Because it's just one application of discipleship. It's just one. This is just, ladies, this is, married ladies, this is just an application of discipleship. Men, we got an application of discipleship for you. Take up your cross and die for the good of your wife. Everybody gets an application of discipleship in here. We're called to be disciples. And so this is not oppressive or smothering or degrading or dehumanizing when it's done for the glory of God and not in a selfish, wicked manner. But in a loving way, this is not dehumanizing. It is ultimately humanizing because the ultimate, the new way to be human as Switchfoot sang 20 years ago. The new way to be human is that in Christ, Christ lives us in us, and we live out our life the way we were created to live as his children for the glory of God and for the good of others. It's ultimately gracious. It's ultimately liberating. It's ultimately beautiful because it is like Jesus. And Jesus did not, Philippians says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. This is how Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is reigning with his Father in heaven. And he doesn't take that prerogative to be separate from us. He doesn't hold on to that, but he lays that down to come to us willingly to give his life for us. This is Christianity dying to ourselves. Both husband and wife are called to live out their new life in Christ. Are there times when he submits? Sure. Are there times when she sacrifices? Sure. But fundamentally, this is the orientation of her heart to defer to his role and his lead in the dance and the orientation of his heart to think sacrifice, think sacrifice for his wife. Let me ask two important questions that may have come up in your mind as I'm talking here. The first one is this. What if I'm a Christian wife and my husband is not a Christian? Because he's addressing here, Uh, ultimately Christian families. What if my husband's not a Christian? Well, the scripture anticipates that. It was probably likely that these uh, people who didn't know anything about Christ, all these churches in the New Testament, they're new believers. It's probably very common that a a lady would get converted and her husband wouldn't. So what do do you do in that? Well, 1 Peter Peter anticipated that. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about it, and there's this powerful, powerful scene powerful lines where he says in there that ladies if your husband doesn't believe the word that is he doesn't embrace the gospel you may win him it says you may win him uh, by your submission and he calls that respectful and pure conduct 
you may have, it's not a guarantee. It's not like you're going to trump his will. It's not like you're going to trump the sovereignty of God. I'm not saying all that. But I am saying the Lord can use you in a powerful way like none other to not only speak the gospel, but to live out the effects of the gospel. So that when you see your identity in Christ as a holy, righteous one, as beloved, as chosen in him, and then verse 12, you walk that out with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, he, he may see, wow, you are different, or I don't know why you do that, or he may see the character of God and be drawn to Christ. I, I know it is unspeakably difficult if you are a Christian and your husband's not. The reason I know it's difficult is because I grew up in that home. My mom is a believer, my dad not. And so it is unspeakably difficult, and I don't mean to make it sound simple. I don't mean to just throw a verse at you and say, hey, you should do this, he'll get saved. My father's not a Christian now. He's still living, my mom's with the Lord. So I'm not going to give you some kind of pat thing or say like, oh, that's a simple plan. I, I just want to say that your, your life matters and you as a wife, your role matters and the Lord wants to use your role in a way to glorify him with an evangelistic purpose that other ladies don't have in the same way if their husbands are Christian. The Lord wants to use you in that way. I also want to say this, let us help you if that is you. You need community. You need Christian support. You need support in loving your husband. And sometimes what happens is if a wife's in a small group uh, and that sort of thing, sometimes when the group's doing things that aren't like Bible study oriented that the unbelieving husband would feel comfortable to, they're doing a barbecue, they're doing a pool party, they're going to the park, they're watching the Super Bowl, whatever they're doing together, um, he'll come to that. And it gives an opportunity for others to reach out to him, others to serve him, others to love him and welcome him so you don't feel like you're carrying that on your own. Um, the other thing is you need folks around you to help bear your burden, to pray for you, care for you, listen to you, um, counsel you, cry with you, support you, um, whatever that looks like. So please let the church support you in this. You are not a second-class citizen. You matter. You are equally a part of this church, whether your husband is here or not. You are equally a part of this church as any married couple who's both here. So we want to affirm that in you. So, two important questions. One is, what if my husband's not a Christian? The second one is, do you always have to submit? Are there times to refuse to yield to your husband if he's a Christian? I'm talking now Christian or non-Christian, either way. But are there times when you can refuse to yield to him? I, I would say yes. There are times you should refuse to yield to him um, if one of these types of things happen. Uh, we talked about last week in the New Testament that when God's law and human law are not the same, you go with God's law. And so the apostles say in uh, the book of Acts, they're forbidden by authorities to preach the gospel. They say, we have to obey God, not man. They said it humbly, but they go preach the gospel. So they, they don't obey that. Now she's called to yield and not obey anyway, but that's why I said, is there a time when she shouldn't yield? If you're a married lady and your hu husband is asking you to sin, act asking you to act against your conscience, then you are free and you should um, not yield. should be humble, gracious, <clears throat> not self-righteous, but you should not yield. If your husband asks you to watch pornography with him, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. If your husband asks you to do something illegal, Hey, sign this form. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
it's, you know, we're, we're, we're doing something here that is, that is going to be illegal in business or something like that, you should not. You should not do something that you know is illegal if he wants you to do something illegal. If he wants you to support him, abuse him, uh, support him in his abuse of um, substances, you should not support him in his abuse of substances. If he's wanting you to, if he says, hey, you submit to me, and he's wanting you to help him facilitate substance abuse, you should get help. Get help for him, what, however you can, but you, you shouldn't, uh, you're, you're free to not yield to that kind of request. If he abuses your children and asks you f- to cover for him, you should refuse to cover for him. You should go to the authorities. If he's criminally, sexually, physically abusing your children, you should go to the, get some help. If he physically abuses you and tells you not to say anything, tells you if he's physically abusing you, that's criminal. He's telling you to submit. You should not submit. You should get help. You should, should be physically separated from him if he's harming you. You should get away from him if he's physically harming you. You should go to the authorities if he's harm, physically harming you. That's a crime. You should come get some help from someone in the church that can support you in that as well. Here, here's the principle. God does not want you to take this verse, submit to your husbands, and, and believe that that means you're called to submit to support his evil if his evil is aimed at you or someone else, whether he's a Christian or not a Christian. You, the Lord provides help for you in that. You obey the Lord and not him, and the Lord will honor that in your life. And if he's a man who seeks to manipulate you by pulling this verse out of context, I mean, what's this verse all been about? Love, forgiveness, compassion, kindness. That's the, that's the context. If he's pulling that out of context and saying, hey, I thought you were a Christian. You've got to submit to me. You've got to submit to me. If he's doing that, he is playing you and manipulating you, and he needs to repent. And he needs the Lord. And he needs help. And you can help him by bringing God's delegated civil authority if he's doing something illegal to the authorities. And if he's doing something sinful and won't change and continues, but it's not illegal, then you need some help from the church. But if you're doing something illegal, you need the civil authorities involved. And you need help from the church. Both are both are true, and we want to be a church that supports you and supports those who are victimized in the kind of situations that I just described. We have and will continue where there is, when we get a report of domestic abuse or of child abuse. Uh, we have in the past, and we will continue to report those to civil authorities and to stand with those who are harmed and help them. If that is you and you're facing those kind of things, I am so sorry and um, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. It's confusing. You're questioning yourself. You're wondering, what should I do? And perhaps he has uh, manipulated your thinking, and this is like, wow, we're talking about this at church. Uh, we just want you to know we love you, and we're really sorry for what you've walked through, and we want to do what we can to help you and to protect you. And where we can't protect you, civil authorities can. That's what they're there. God delegated them to do that. Okay, let me make a little bit of application, and we're done. Uh, very little bit of application. Okay, uh, those are exceptional issues, not, not everyday issues. More, less exceptional than we wish they were. We wish they were non-existent, but they do happen. 
But in regular context, where you're not being asked to sin and you're not being harmed uh, in some way, then voluntarily submitting is powerful. Uh, it's dignifying. It's beautiful when you're gliding together in the dance and there's not the chaos, there's not the smothering of the husband over the wife and there's not the chaos of jockeying for position. That's not pretty, stepping on each other's feet, but you're partnering together. It's a beautiful way to express your love, your new life in Christ. When you are, have a disposition, ladies, to embrace his initiative, you are actually cultivating leadership in his life. You're actually serving him. You're benefiting yourself. You're glorifying the Lord, ultimately. Let me give you an example. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But, but let me give you an example, personally. My wife, who was in the first service, and I said this with her here, uh, she'd be the first to tell you that she's sinful. Um, but she excels in this aspect of being a wife. And so I have known this kind of uh, support from my wife, which is tremendous. But I'm going to tell you how it, it's affected me and how it affects many husbands. Um, she is not like a mousy kind of person who doesn't say anything. She would describe herself as loud. So uh, she's not a woman with, who has no opinions and just, do, you know, or anything like that. Um, she, uh, but here's what she does. She really affirms my lead. And she looks for me to lead. And she supports me as I try to lead. And she makes it easy for me to lead. And she is patient when I fail to lead. And here's what that does to me. Because I'm not spending a lot of emotional energy and time in a battle for who's leading and what am I supposed to do. Because, I mean, we've been married a long time, so you kind of work out some of the roles things over the years. But, uh, but, but w because I'm not spending all my emotional energy and all the relational capital on a battle, what's happening is she's leaning in She's setting me up to lead, and so then there's this open space there because she's not trying to push me out of it. So guess what that does to me? Wow, I'm responsible. God, I need your help. I'm called to lead, and I'm not using all my strength to battle. She's saying, lead. Now, i got to produce. <laughs> i gotta, I got to, Lord, i gotta, I got to fear you. i got to love her as Christ loves the church because I can't say it's this woman you gave me and blame it on her, which never works anyway. It didn't work for Adam and we all fell. <laughs> didn't work. But, uh, but I can't say it's her because she's making a place for me to lead and embracing my, my lead, not perfectly, but generally. And, and so it causes me to say, oh, man, because she's obeying God in her role, then I'm convicted about being obey God in my role. I can't push it off and say, excuse me, well, she's not serving. Lord, look at her sin. I'm saying, Lord, she's making a way for me to lead. Now help me. It calls me, it calls me as a man, it calls me to action, to love her as Christ loves the church. And that's not easy. We talked at the break, and she, <laughs> in the sermon, she said, you know, one thing you might want to remind about the, the dance is that it is difficult. She likes old movies. And so she gave me this quote about the dance at the, between the services. She told me, uh, Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did but she did it backwards and in high heels. And so she said, remind the church of that. So what she was saying is, it's not easy. The dance is not easy. Uh, and it feels really hard for a wife. You know, everything he did backwards and high heels. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, so that didn't come that easy. I thought I was just so wonderful that it was easy to follow my lead. But actually, it was hard. Okay, I get the point, honey. I'll share that with the church in the second service. But do you, do you see that this is, I'm challenged to sacrifice as she obeys the Lord. Submission springs from an attitude, and that's what I mean. I, I'm done here. i got to go. you got to go. 
it springs from an attitude. The reason I didn't give you 10 practices of, me, of my wife and I, here's, ten, here's how we make all our decisions, here's how we do separate the chores, here's how we look at work and income and who does what and who works at what, here's how we do all this stuff, now go and do likewise, because there's different couples work that stuff out differently. It's not about figuring out the list, it's about getting our heart right before the Lord. Because let me tell you this, if every wife in the room would say, Lord, I want to love like you love, and in my relationship of marriage, that means I'm deferring and leaning into his leadership. And every husband would say, Lord, I want to love like you love. I am dying to myself and sacrificing for my wife. If every couple would do that, figuring out who's doing the dishes, who's mowing the lawn, who's working outside the house, who makes more money, who's, who's writing the checks, who's doing what, that stuff is easy. It's this that is difficult. And so if we could get this right, you can figure out the other stuff. And, and different couples do different dances. We all don't have to do the same thing. Different couples work this out together. But where he's taking initiative and loving and sacrificing, and she's responding and gliding alongside of him, and they're working it out together and talking and communicating and reconciling when they sin against each other. And, you know, it, it, when they're doing that, then it is beautiful. And I hope the window's a little clearer now because you look at that and you go, okay, that's beautiful because wives submit to your husband. That's looking like Jesus, and that's beautiful. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That looks like Jesus, and that's beautiful. And where there is something out of whack, let's get some help. And where something is way out of whack and illegal and criminal, let's get that uh, solved as well. Um, you know. But ultimately, wherever we are, Let's, let's come to the Lord and ask for his help. Here's, here's how I'm going to send you out. Next week, the men will get a, a homework assignment. But ladies, let me ask you to do this. Here's your homework. Ask your husband, if you're married, ask your husband, how could I better submit to you and fulfill Colossians 3.18? Well, wow, that's really risky. No, he's going to have to ask you something next week, so that's okay. And his question will be harder. We're going to make it harder. Um, Ask this. Here's a different way. How could I better affirm your leadership, your role? Here's ask if you want to do the Eve helper thing. Here's another way to ask it. How could I better empower you? I don't care how you ask it, but get to the heart of it. How could I submit? How could I defer? How could I support? How could I help? How could I tee you up? How could I empower you to lead? How could I make it easier for you to fulfill your responsibility in the Lord? What could I do? What could I do? Ask that question stimulate some conversation. And, uh, guys, let's be humble and look at it. Realize that next week she's going first, so you've got to do it. She's like, you're <laughs> she went first, you've got to do it. That's the deal next week. But let's ask, let's have that conversation. Okay, let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.